Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Mark 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, generation. How's everybody doing? Awesome. So when I hear this story, I I, I like to imagine myself hearing it for the first time, just like so many would have. When Jesus tells this parable, It's a large crowd, as we heard, right, in the context. It's a large crowd. And so imagine if you were there and you're walking by and Jesus is talking and you hear him say these words and you're kind of there watching how different people are responding. Because that's what would happen. People would respond in different ways. So if you're there, imagine to your left, maybe a religious leader. And he has just this confused look on his face like, what? This Messiah talking about sowing seeds? I, I don't get it. Or to your, uh, to, the, to your other side, you see two farmers, and they're now debating on what's the correct way to sow. They clearly don't get it, too. They kind of stay on the first degree of the story. You look around, and there's a revolutionary. He must be a revolutionary. He's holding a flag. He was probably expecting an insurrection. Oh, the king of the Jews is coming. I'm here. And he'll leave disappointed because that's not the kingdom that Jesus was preaching. Others are probably saying things like, man, I came to see the miracles. What's this thing about sowing seeds? And then there were still others. As you watch, you would see their eyes lifted up to heaven, a smile on their face as if a secret has been revealed. And so different responses, but one thing for sure, this story the next day would be the talk of the town. And everybody that wasn't there, they would hear from their friends and their families. Hey, Did you hear the one about the sower? And so that's why we call this series, Did You Hear the One About? We're talking about Jesus' parables. Now, a simple, very simple definition of what a parable is for when Jesus would tell us parables is it's basically earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. So we'll just keep it at that. Earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. There were different kinds of parables. There's what you call the true parable, where there's a, a story where there's the beginning and an end and a plot and a resolution. And over the next two weeks, we're going to hear two true parables. But today, we're looking at what the parable that would be called a similitude. And the idea there is that 
Jesus would take illustrations from everyday life, and as he kind of gave lessons from it, it would either prick or comfort the heart of the listener. And so this parable of the sower is a similitude, and its significance is enhanced by Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he says this, speaking of the parable of the sower, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And I thought that really interesting that we would start off with this parable. It's very appropriate to do so because Jesus is saying, if you don't understand this one, you won't understand all the others. And so we see here just uh, truth being spoken. And this parable is setting the stage for so many others that would follow. So Jesus used parables for several reasons. I want to just name three this morning. The first one was to draw attention. Right? If Jesus talked point blank about the upside down kingdom, this would push many people away. Think of John chapter 6, for example, where they are confronting him and Jesus just like lays it on them using uh, Old Testament uh, uh, sayings and explaining that his body and his uh, blood should be eaten and uh, drunk. And so they're confused. And these followers, it says that they, they did not like these words. They were too harsh. And so they left. And so there were times that Jesus would speak like that. But most of the time, Jesus would talk to the crowd in parables. Why? Because these stories had a way of intriguing the listener to where they wouldn't be thrown off right away. And so a farmer would be there in the crowd and he'd hear, a sower went to sow. Oh, I'm listening. This, this speaks to me. It makes sense. It's familiar to me. And so those, though these stories attracted a very large crowd, the reality is some understood simply its earthly meaning and kind of left with that. Okay, so we're talking about sowing, and they'd kind of think that that's all there is to it. And they would miss the heavenly message. And so some would leave not understanding. And there was a select few that would leave having understood, inevitably separating the camp in two. And this was Jesus' intention when he spoke in parables. We're going to see in a minute how he explains this. But really, the reason Jesus used parables was to conceal the truth for some and to reveal the truth for others. To conceal the truth from those who had a resistant heart, right? In a large crowd, some were just coming to be entertained. They heard about this Jesus. They heard about the miracles. They're like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll check this out. But their heart was not in it. And sometimes I wonder if in our day and age, we've become that a little bit. I felt my heart to say this, that Jesus is not here to do tricks for you. He's not a magician. But sometimes that's how we treat him, right? Like a gumball machine. Show me what you've got. But if you don't have anything I like, I'm out of here. And we portray that in our relationship with God, in our relationship with different churches. And we just church hop from one to another because we have this sort of what can you do for me consumer mentality and it's still prevalent today. I really like how Alistair Begg puts it. He says, you do not get to grips with the message of Jesus from the safe distance of a detached curiosity. Let me just read that again so it sinks in. You do not get to grips with the message of Jesus from the safe distance of a detached curiosity. Jesus is calling us to be followers, to be all in. In fact, notice he reveals the meaning of these parables to who? To his disciples, those that decided to leave everything to follow him. And so he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, he explains to his disciples, Because his disciples say, why do you speak in parables? We need to understand. So he says, to you, 
disciples who have decided to follow me. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see what that secret is through this parable. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that, and then he quotes scripture from the Old Testament, they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now this passage that Jesus is quoting is from Isaiah chapter six. And some of you know this passage or at least the first part of it. It's when Isaiah, he enters into the temple. He's sad because he lost his best friend, the king. And he's just kind of wondering what's going on. And as he's there in the temple, maybe praying to God, all of a sudden, the glory of God fills the temple. And when he sees the glory of God in that presence, he is in such awe. And that awe then leads to a realization of what he is lacking. And he cries out, woe is me, for I am a a person with unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of God. And in that moment, you guys are familiar with the story, an angel comes and takes tongs and from the altar comes and purifies Isaiah's lips. And in that moment of being completely transformed and purified, a heart clean and and lips pure, then God calls out and says, whom shall I send to the people, right? And so Isaiah, fully transformed and renewed, cries out, here I am, send me. So that's the story, the backstory to the words that Jesus says here. And then the message that God gives Isaiah to tell to his people, that message is what Jesus quotes here. So we read Isaiah chapter six, verse nine. Say this to the people. You gotta understand, God is saying, Isaiah, say this to the people. The people would hear this. They would hear, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, every time I've read this passage, I've, I've felt like, man, that's so harsh. Like, why, why, why was God being so harsh to the people? But then it kind of dawned on me, wait a minute. What better way to reach a resistant heart than to make them realize what they're missing out as they're looking in from the outside? And so as someone would hear, as the people would hear, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This should shock them into saying, but wait a minute, I want that. And so there were people for whom the truth was was concealed. They would hear the story. It would make no difference for them. Ah, God didn't show up. There was no miracles. There was nothing. I'm out of here. I'm moving on. But then there were others that they realized the hardness of their heart, and they're hearing, that they, that they're hearing the words of truth, and they would react to that. They'd say, no, but I want to turn, and I want to be healed, and help me, God. And so some, it would be concealed. For others, it would reveal just, even if they had a hard heart, that they needed to turn to God to be healed. And so this story would inevitably also reveal the truth for those who had a receptive heart. Those who were really maybe here at first for the fluff and the miracles, but then realized there's something more. They realized they were lacking. They knew they were empty and they were hungry. And so I don't know where we stand today. We're going to talk about uh, different attitudes and responses to the word of God. And I don't know where you stand today in all of this. But how do you recapture the punch of these parables? Well, first we need to hear what they heard. Because Jesus, you see, he said this story in a very particular context. Wouldn't you want to know 
why Jesus said this in that moment. And so we're going to look at two contexts. We're going to see the context in which Jesus says it, and then we're going to look at the context of the story itself. And this is going to help us understand. So the, the parable, the context in which he said it, we read already in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read it again real quick. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So this is just a side note, but man, how, how like, Jesus is brilliant here. Like, there's no mics back then. There's no sound system. So what does Jesus do? He gets on a boat, and his voice carries over the water so that a large crowd can hear his words. I mean, it's, it's brilliant, right? But what's happening, what it's showing me is that Jesus is becoming very popular. And so he has these large crowds gathering. And I kind of wondered to myself, I wonder when that started. And so guess what? This story that we're reading in, in Mark this morning, it's actually in two other gospels, the gospel of Mark and the, uh, Matthew and the gospel of Luke. So I went into the gospel of Matthew just to kind of see the, the context because Mark is very concise. So it's very clear, like you have one verse to tell the whole context, right? But Matthew, there's a lot more detail and it's a lot more chronological. As you read, there's times where it says, and that same day, this happened. And so I, I was like, okay, I wonder how far back I could go. And I went all the way back to Matthew chapter nine, verse 35, where I think it kind of all started because we read, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So imagine from that moment on, now from Matthew 9 all the way to Matthew 13, he's been spreading the gospel and healing any sickness and disease. So naturally, he's getting very popular in that moment. But guess what? His audience, it, they weren't always receptive. And so Jesus is seeing that, that not everybody is receptive. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, as we build up to Matthew 13, in Matthew chapter 11, he talks about these unrepentant cities. And Jesus, you're going to see in this story, he's really talking about them. Then he talks about in, in Matthew chapter 12, these Pharisees that, that would only seek to accuse. And then later on, right before uh, he actually tells the story that same day, he's talking to the crowd and his family wants to come see him. And he's finally saying, we, we, want to see, we want to see Jesus, but they're not only wanting to see him as the Messiah, they just want him because they need him for family situations, right? And so Jesus actually boldly declares, he says, my family, they are my family. My family are those who do the will of my father. I just put that as a side note. Remember that word, to do the will of my father. And so we finally get to uh, Matthew 13, or in our case, Mark chapter 4, where Jesus tells the story of the parable of the sower. He's been uh, confronted with all these different audiences, essentially a lot of people just not looking for a Christ to save them, but a Christ that will do what they want for him to do. And so maybe some of us were in this room eh, cringing a little bit, because maybe sometimes that's how we treat Jesus in our life, if we're being honest. And so really this story is about those people that Jesus has been meeting. So, did you hear the one about the sower? I want to tell it again. And this time I want us to really kind of get into it as if we're hearing it for the first time. And I said, hear it. So I asked Pastor Ray not to put the words up. If it's easier for you to concentrate, I would even encourage you to just close your eyes and imagine yourself right there at the, at the front of uh, the lake and hearing Jesus' words just carry out over the ocean. And this is what he said. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, 
where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is a simple story. And many would just stop there. And they would just, that's all they would hear, right? It's a farmer that sows seeds into four different soil types with four different results. That, that's all you see on the, on the front end. But let's dig a little deeper this morning. And so how do you do that? Context. So now let's hear what they heard. What's the context of the actual story? So when we hear a sower, we might think of it from our modern perspective and we're thinking machines and we're thinking of, you know, a lot of people working it and just massive, massive stuff. But here's what a sower was as Jesus is telling the story. This is what they're picturing. A man walking along the path in his field, his whole field is around, and with a slinging motion, he has seed in his bag, with a slinging motion just kind of throws it all over the place. And as he's walking around, he's just throwing the seed. And so naturally, this is what the people are imagining, naturally, as he's doing that, as you can see, there's some seed that would seem, seem to be wasted, but it's not, as we'll see. And so as all that seed is being pour, poured out, some would fall along the path. It would just land on rocky ground, and it was visible for all to see, including the birds who just looked at it and said, oh, bird food. And they'd come and just pick up that seed. And it never had time or opportunity to dig deeper. There was some uh, uh, seed that would fall along the rocky ground. Now, don't, don't picture like mountainous regions. This is simply along the path. There was some soil that would cover the path. And so as the seed would fall in, it would seem like it's good soil, but as it wanted to, to grow deeper, there was no root able to go because of the rock blocking it. There was rock hidden under the soil, and so this apparent good soil was actually not good soil. The roots would be cut short by the rock. The plant would wither from the heat, the sun, and the plant would die from lack of moisture. And so as the sower continues to sow, there would be some uh, seed that would fall on thorny soil again. The soil looked good. Maybe there's some thorns around, but not in that particular patch. And so the, the seed, it, it starts to, to actually go underground and starts to grow and sprout. But guess what? As it's gathering all its nutrients, the thorns that were dormant underneath ground, they're waking up. They're a lot more powerful and they surround and choke out the good plant. And then as the sower continues to sow, some would fall in good soil. How did, they, how did you know if it would be good soil? Because there was the apparent good soil that was actually rocky ground. There was the apparent good soil that was actually thorny ground. How do you know if it was good soil? Over time. Over time, what would then happen is it would take root. It would grow. And how do you know? It would ultimately bear fruit. How do you know if you're good soil? You ultimately bear fruit. That's the test. That's the proof. And so the yields that Jesus mentions here are really astounding if you think about it. Because an average crop would be tenfold. But here we see 30, 60, 100fold. I mean, we're talking massive produce. They would call it bumper crops. And so these farmers listening in, they're like, wow, what a cool fairy tale story. 
That's what I want for my property. See you, Jesus. I guess that's all you had to tell me. And so many people would just listen to the story as is and leave without understanding its meaning. But I want you to hear something. Even though Jesus explains it to his disciples, that story in itself is enough for us to understand what Jesus is trying to say. Because I believe in that story, as he's talking to everyone, he actually, we actually miss the punchline that is hidden in plain sight. Can you guess what it is? Can you guess what it is as you hear that story? I'll tell you what it is. It's the bookends. It's how Jesus starts the story and how he ends it. If you're paying attention, he started by saying, listen. And then he ended the story, not by talking about the crops. He ended it by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So are we paying attention? Now, like I said, we get backstage access today. Whereas so many in the crowd left and that's all they would get to hear. We get backstage access because we get to eavesdrop in on the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And Jesus makes it crystal clear. Anybody that says, well, you see this seed that's sowed, it represents different denominations or different periods in time, eh, wrong. Okay, it's so evident and so clear because Jesus says it himself. He says, the sower sows the word. So what is the seed? The word of God. So now we can move on. And the word of God, it's talking about being in four different kinds of soils. That's really four conditions of the human heart. These four type of soils are four conditions of the human heart. So let's look at them together. First, there's the seed that fell along the path. This is what I would call the resistant heart. The resistant heart is when they hear the word, notice Jesus actually names what these birds are, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. It's very clear. Now, something you might want to understand is, is a lot of times when Jesus was talking in parables, he was talking about the kingdom. What is the kingdom but him basically declaring as God and as king that God is supposed to rule and reign on our hearts, in our hearts and in our minds. That is fact because he is God. He has the absolute right <clears throat> to do that. Well, the, the, resistant heart, the resistant heart says, no, my way, not, not the king's way, my way, right? They're the ones that literally say, my way or the highway. They're along the path and they say, my way or the highway, and they refuse. And as a result, they are in a dangerous position because any word that comes, they could be listening to the sound of my voice right now. They could be reading the word even every day. If it's a resistant heart, it just lands on hard ground and it's visible to the enemy, and the enemy swoops in. Now, you may be here, and you've never really heard the gospel. This is kind of your first time. Or you may be here, and you're a Christian, and it's been years, and you could still have a resistant heart. I believe it's through seasons of life. And, and the question that you want to ask yourself throughout this morning is, what, what am I? Which type of soil am I? And so the resistant heart is, is the one that basically any word of God, it's, just, it's as if you're talking to God and you're receiving from God and it's just bouncing off the walls and there's no effect and you wonder why. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've become cynic. Cynicism kicks in whenever you hear the word. Something just rubs you the wrong way and you, you kind of little by little get away from, from the safety of God and his presence and you say things like, nah, you know what, in fact, this isn't for me. Nah, in fact, and, I, and I've heard, heard this from people before. Nah, you know, this Jesus thing, it's a crutch for the weak. I'm not weak. And what it is, that resistant heart, that hard heart, is actually a prideful heart. 
the very thing that made Satan come down from where he was. And so it could be, it could be in this season of life that you may find yourself having a hard heart. Can I say, if you find yourself having a resistant heart lately, can I say the fact that you acknowledge it right now is great news. Because if you hear that and you're saying to yourself, wow, this might be me, then what Jesus is encouraging us to do, encouraging you to do, is keep on listening. Just keep on listening. Now, there may be some here, they hear it, and it makes no difference whatsoever, and they'll just walk away. And the only thing I could do is just plead, plead for you and, and say, listen, if you hear God today, do not, do not harden your heart. Because in the end, it is, it is your decision whether to receive or accept. The sower, as we will talk about, he sows lavishly. But it all depends on how we receive it. And so here we have this, the seed that fell uh, along the path. It's the resistant heart. But if you acknowledge it today, there's, there's hope for you yet. Keep on listening. So then there's the seed that fell on a rocky ground. This is what I would characterize as the superficial heart. It's those who, as Jesus explains, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. Immediately. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is your at first enthusiastic regular attender, maybe even a member of the church, someone who's been serving, maybe even for years. And then out of the blue, for whatever reason, they're gone. And you ask yourself, like, what happened? And what they'd tell you is this. Oh, you, know, you want to know what, what happened? Life happened, right? Life happened and, and, you know, I got sick or I lost my job, I lost my home, I lost my family member. I can't believe God would allow that to happen. And so life happened. But you know what, what I want to say to that? is guess what? Life happens to everyone. The person who, who leaves because they're mad because things didn't pan out, guess what? There are many believers that have stuck it through, have had the same things, maybe even worse, and they have not given up. What's the difference? The reality is there was the superficial believer and the one who was actually digging deep down. They were rooted in Christ. And so I, I encourage us to just consider that right now. Life happens, and, and, and what will you do when life happens? Years ago, before I came here, I was in a situation where, where ministry was so difficult, and that was my, my life. So life was happening, and it was not fun, and, and I was having to deal with so many things. And in that moment of great distress, I remember in the car crying out to God and basically saying, I am done with ministry. But no sooner had I uttered those words, I cried out immediately after, but I'm never done with you, God. I'm never done with you. That's what a, a heart that is rooted would look like. A, a heart that's superficial would say, I'm done with this, I'm done with all this, I'm just gonna live my life. And from being superficial, becoming hard and resistant again. And so a little heat comes like the sun on the plant. A little heat, a little pressure of life reveals superficial belief because there was no roots. Here at Generation, it's the first thing on our purpose statement. We wish that you would be, and we, we desire, and we want to help you be firm in the faith. That you'll be rooted deep down in Christ. Well, how do you know? How do you know? I, I love how George Whitfield, a famous evangelist, he was talking to the crowds as he often did. And one night, so many people you know, answered the call. And this man came up to him and says, how many people got saved tonight, you think? And 
George Whitfield very wisely said, how many? I guess we'll see in a few years, won't we? Because we can only know over time. We can only know by the fruit. You know over time. Any, anybody can say they believe in the moment, but then when life happens, real conversion turns your life upside down. You learn to trust God no matter what. And so if you find yourself acknowledging this morning, maybe I'm a little bit on the superficial side. I, I have not been rooted deep in my faith. I've kind of steered away a little bit. Here's your opportunity to hear that your heart would be once again receptive and the fruit in your life evident. That's how you know over time. So then there's the seed that fell among thorns. And this is what I would characterize as the divided heart. And the reality is that probably a lot of people, that's where they find themselves. That's where they find themselves. The divided hearts. Those who, as Jesus says, they hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Notice it doesn't say it chokes you. It chokes the plant. No, no, it chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. So I I don't know if maybe that's you. Are you crowded by the cares of this world? It's those who say, you know, I want to serve God, but man, I've got this to take care of and this, and there's this problem, and there's this situation. And as they're making that long list, they don't realize that the word, the seed, the very solution to their problems will then get choked out by the worries of life because they're not focusing on, on the one who can provide the answer. They're focusing on the giants that are surrounding them. They're crowded by the cares of this world. And then there are those that are distracted by the desires of this world. They desire the word. Listen, it's not those that are far away from God. It's those that desire the word, but they also desire the world. And I don't know, it was kind of interesting as I was looking at those two words and I asked Pastor Ray to kind of emphasize that. But it's those that desire the word and the world. How interesting that the, the only difference between the, between the two is that letter L that in our society kind of means lose, right? In an effort to win it all, they lose it all. Because you can't have Jesus and. Listen, if you have Jesus, how do you know if you have Jesus and? That on the throne of, of your heart, yeah, Jesus has a certain place, but you've also got something or someone else. You can't have that. You can't have Jesus and success. Jesus should be enough. You can't have Jesus and comfort. Jesus is enough. You can't have Jesus and entertainment. Jesus and I need to be loved for who I am and I need approval from others. You can't have Jesus and consumption. Let me buy and buy and have and have. You can't have all these things because when you add to Jesus an and, fill in the blank, that's how you get the thorns that will crush the word in your life and make you unfruitful. I think there's one thing that's very clear. Options only create confusion. When you add options to your life. I like how David really set his priorities straight. In Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I ask. Let's keep it simple. One thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That was his desire. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you know, says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Make him first. Guess what? All these other things will come. He talks about food, he talks about clothing. In Matthew chapter 6, he talks about all these things that are important and necessary. And Jesus is basically saying, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will come. Don't even worry about it. 
Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Now, some of these thorns in your life might be straight up sinful and you know it. And if that's the case, if sin is prevalent in your life, just keep this in mind. Sin is attractive and that's the trap. And it offers a solution, but for your strongest desires. Jesus offers a solution to your deepest desires, which you really need, which you really want. And so if you, if you know that sin is prevalent in your life, man, repent from that. It means turn around and turn towards the Savior, the one who paid for your sins so you don't have to be controlled by them anymore. So there's some that are downright sinful, but then there's some thorns, it actually seems good. It actually seems innocent. That's the trap. Because thorns can also choke gradually in time. And so if you have Jesus and that and, however it is, you fill in the blank, guess what? Even if it's a good thing, that's what's so crazy. If you have Jesus and something good, and that's what's on the throne of your life, that good becomes bad. Because Jesus should be the supreme ruler of your life. He is the king. And it's only when you do that, when you accept him as king and as Lord and the one that rules over your life, everything else is just going to make sense and fall into place, even through the good and the bad. And so how, how does, what does that look like then to only live for Jesus and yet enjoy everything else? Because guess what? Jesus says, hey, I came to give you life in abundance. In Ecclesiastes, we have all these verses that talk about the importance of enjoying life, enjoying your family, enjoying the people around you. So, so here's kind of what I, I would suggest to you. If you find yourself as in, a, in a situation of, of a divided heart, is enjoy God, enjoy life, sorry, enjoy life, and then seek how to glorify God in it. So if, if you're enjoying something that doesn't glorify God, that you, you probably need to remove. But if there's something that's good, then seek how to glorify God in it. And, and that heart, I think, is the seed that falls into good soil, the receptive heart. It's the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And such a person can build roots that'll help them, help them stand against the heat and the pressures of life. And such a person will not be choked or distracted by the temporal and worldly desires around them. And such a person will produce fruit that lasts. And so as I um, kind of wind down, I want to become real practical and give you just two applications for us from this. And is to answer this question, how can I have this receptive heart that will result in obvious fruit? Now there's this underlying question throughout everything I've been saying, basically, which soil am I? And I, and I hope you've been thinking about that. What, you know, Holy Spirit revealed to me, in this season of life right now, which soil do I find myself in right now? What is, my, what is my heart right now? Well, how can I be, what is the obvious answer, this receptive soil, this good soil? How can I be this receptive soil that will result in obvious fruit? Number one is this. Be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Notice I, I told you how the punchline of this story is on the bookends. Jesus starts by saying, listen. He closes by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Everything in between is, is how you respond to uh, being in good soil. 
Be careful how you hear. That is really the main point of this parable, right? See, in our culture, and here's the thing, I, I, we need to understand something. Context again. In our culture, when we say listen, it has this connotation of a sort of passive activity, right? It's like ears register, sound waves, maybe, I think. You know, you, you hear something, and much like a teenager responding to an adult, right? When I was growing up, my dad said this to me often. He uh, talked to me, and when he saw that I didn't, I didn't obey what he said, he said, Brian is going in one ear and out the other. Are you listening to me? You know, that's our culture today. That's how we understand, listen. Are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Well, guess what? Back then, Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Now, check this out. This is pretty cool. To listen in Aramaic is the word shema. Shema means to hear, to listen to, and to obey. Now, here's the clincher. In Aramaic, there is no other word for obey. So when Jesus says, listen, and if you have ears to hear, let him hear, they are understanding, I listen and I obey. Or how about I put it this way? I listen and I must respond appropriately. After all, they're listening to a rabbi. I'm listening and I need to respond appropriately. It's not just about listening with our ears. So my dad would say this as I grew up, you know, when he said, well, you know, it's going in one ear and out the other. He said, next time, Brian, I want it to go in one ear and out your feet. Like, that's what it means. Be obedient. Do what I ask you to do. You see, Shema implies to listen and respond appropriately. And if someone understood that, it was Jesus' brother. In fact, in James chapter 1, you can tell that he is thinking of that story as he says this. Verse 22, he sa- or 21, he says, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That seems to be like the thorns that are distracting us, right? And he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And now he's wanting to re- remind his audience, you know, the, the, he's, he's, the, he's the, the pastor, the leader uh, in the church in Jerusalem. And he's wanting to remind them what listening actually means. Receive with meekness the implanted word. How? Be doers of the word. Don't forget that listen means to obey. Listen means to respond appropriately. So be doers of the word, not hearers only, because then you deceive yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. It is not enough just to hear the word. This morning, I want to leave time for you to respond because it's not enough just to hear the word, but for us to be doers of the word. To listen means to respond appropriately. So that's the first thing. How can I have this receptive heart that will result in obvious fruit? I want to be careful how I hear. In other words, I want to listen and obey God's word, the seed that is planted in me. But there's something missing, and it's actually the the first thing that we need to do. So I started with the, the, the end, but for us to be that good soil, like it doesn't matter if you know now this truth, oh, I got to listen and obey. The reality is you got to remember this sobering truth. It's also how I receive the seed. Now, actually, James mentions it. And receive with meekness the implanted word. So it's not something that you planted in yourself, 
Are you guys hearing me? Because here's the deal. We are, our, we are the soil, not the sower. We cannot till ourselves in this sense. It reminds me of when uh, God talks about the fact that we are the clay, he is the potter. And so who are you, clay, to try to um, you know, decide what you should be? And so in that attitude, we need to have that heart that understands this second truth. Yes, it's also how we hear, but guess what? It's also this truth that only God can change your heart. Only God can change the soil of my heart. See, I was, I was tempted to call this parable, like many do actually, the parable of the soils. Because I'm like, I'm going to spend a lot of time on these four soils. Maybe I should call it that. And then the more I studied it, the more I realized, you know what? It all points right back to God. Because yes, maybe for sure I have a part to play. My responsibility is what those bookends are telling me to, to listen and to obey, to respond appropriately. But guess what? Without the sower, there is no seed. I could be the best soil in the world. If there's no seed that falls inside, what does it matter? And I, as the soil, I do not plant the seed. It is the sower. The sower is God, and he does it through his word. He may do it through uh, men and women of God in our life, but it's, it's us receiving something from someone. Only God can change the soil of my heart. And so without, without him, there's no seed. That's why I believe that this parable is accurately called the parable of the sower, because it really is all about God. But guess what? Oh, how he sows. Oh, how he loves. Remember the gesture of that sower in the field? He loves and he sows extravagantly for all to hear. Yes, some may fall along the path. Some may fall on thorny ground because that's where you're at at that moment. And the sower, do you think he's picking and choosing? No, he loves you so much he's throwing it everywhere. When I see this, I see just the extravagant love of God, the reckless Beautiful love of God, sending his son to die without any guarantee of return on investment. Think of all the people that he talked to knowing that in their hearts they were hard and they were against it, but he kept on declaring the beautiful gospel and that's what we are to do as well. He continues to patiently sow his word everywhere, everywhere he goes through his people. How, why? Because Second Peter 3 verse 9 says it, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. What I see here in the story of the parable of the sower is a generous God extending grace to everyone, even those he knows will likely reject it. He gives it to them lavishly anyway in the hopes that they will ask for a receptive heart. See, wherever you are this morning, if you have pinpointed what the condition of your heart is, the good news is there's a key here to ask the only person that can change your heart, and that is the sower to ask the one who has the word of God for help, for a receptive heart, and to experience the life he came to give. As I call the band now, let's go back to that underlying question that we have to answer now. It's time to evaluate. It's time to examine your heart. And so which soil are you this morning? Right now, in this moment. You know, God, God is, is outside of time. He, he, God is always now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, but for you, he's now. And so right now, which soil are you? As you've you've been listening to these words, as you attempted to read God's word this week, have you found yourself somewhat resistant to his word? 
Or perhaps you may think, you know what, I think I'm a little bit more on the superficial side. I've, I've been a Christian for years and I don't feel like I'm growing at all. And, and there's no roots. There's no roots. May I suggest to you if there's no roots, it could be also because you're surrounding yourself with things that won't help you grow. I want to encourage you if you find yourself in a superficial state of mind that your heart is that way to get plugged into a local church, whether it's this one or another one, to get plugged in, to be surrounded by like-minded people and then grow in the word, not just on Sundays, but every day of your life, surrounded by people walking on the same journey as you. Which soil are you? Resistant? Superficial? Or maybe some here are, are divided. And you're realizing it. Again, if you're acknowledging it, this is a good thing because God's offering a solution here and it's a very simple one. But so many people don't do it. But maybe you're divided and you're realizing this sobering truth. You can't serve God and fill the blank. Even the good things, God has to be first in your life. And so to be unencumbered by the cares and the pleasures of this world, to be undeterred by the pressures of this life, Here's the answer. There's nothing that you can do because you are, we are just soil. We are the clay. He is the potter. We are the soil. He is the sower. So there's nothing that we can do. The soil can't till itself, but here's what we can do. We can cry out to the sower. We can ask him to do what David asked when he found himself in a situation where he was not in good soil. He was at the origin of a murder and committed adultery and thought he could hide his sin until God sought him out. And as he was spraying these seeds all over and it landed on his resistant heart, his troubled heart, it revealed that there was something deeper because he understood and acknowledged how his heart was. And so in Psalm 51 Verse 10, when he is finally confronted with his sin, you know what he cries out and it's so beautiful? He says, man, I have sinned against no one but you, God. And it's really interesting. We don't have time this morning, but to see the comparison with, with his pre predecessor, King Saul. And King Saul disobeyed. And when it was time for, for him to, to repent or have the possibility to repent, he blamed it on everyone else. And then he made sure that he would look good in front of people. He was superficial. But David, recognizing how hard his heart had, had been, he knew who to cry out to. And in Psalm 51, verse 10, he cries out this prayer that I hope could become ours if we find ourselves in one of these soils that are not good and pure. He cried out this, Create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. You see the solution? Create in me. I can't do it on my own. I'm just the soil. But God, you're the sower. And so I may find myself along the path. I may find myself on rocky ground right now. But I'm awake right now in this moment because I've chosen to listen and open my ears. And I acknowledge now that first and foremost, I need you. And so as I cry out to you, God, would you till the soil? You know, you don't want to till the soil on your own. Because tilling implies breaking and overturning. And if it's you doing that, oh, it's going to be horrible. But you know, it might hurt at first. It is, it is good to have our soil be broken and turned over by God because that's where the seed can then come in and really grow 
and bear fruit in our lives. So wherever you may be, resistant, superficial, or divided, would you just pray with what David prayed? He revealed that his heart was just seeking for more. He wasn't where he wanted to be. And God, that's how much he loves you. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you that so much that he wants to take you to be something where you're not. And so would you guys just stand up with me right now and again, to answer that question, which soil am I? And the obvious answer is I want to be good soil. So how do I be good soil? I cry out, Lord, create in me a clean heart and a right spirit within me. And so would we just, as we examine our hearts, be able to say that? And then what naturally follows is in that good soil, we now understand the key to growing is to listen, respond appropriately to God's word being sown in us every day. So would you just um, pray with me? We're going to have prayer teams on the side here in just a moment um, to help you wherever you are on that journey. You know, if, if you come up to them, you maybe just as an easy way, just kind of say, hey, I, I feel like I'm the superficial heart. I feel like I'm the divided heart right now. Whatever it may be, and, and they'll know how to pray with you and help you. And basically together, for you guys to simply ask the sower, created me a clean heart. We're going to do that right now together, just as a, as a body and as individuals. Would you just say, oh God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place right now. We are all hearts that have received uh, your seed, your word. And Lord, I pray that every single person in this room, hearing the sound of my voice online right now, I pray that the heart is ready to receive. And if it isn't, to cry out to you, to cry out to you and ask you to till the soil of our heart. We want to receive the implanted word right now and every day so that we may bear fruit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, We'd love to hear about it, so please drop us a note.